Well, good morning, everybody. If, uh, if you're a visitor here this morning, it's great to have you with you, us. My name's Simon. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. And um, we are working our way through the book of Acts on a Sunday morning. And we are at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And we're looking at a few, preceding, uh, few chapters following on from that. So if you've got a Bible, um, you can turn it to that. You can find that chapter. If you haven't, don't worry. The words will be on the screen. But we're working our way through Acts over the next few weeks, number of weeks, really. And it, it's kind of like Acts is, Acts is after, it's an account after Jesus has lived, been crucified, been raised to life, uh, appeared to his disciples, um, been taken up into heaven. And, and Acts is kind of like the account, so some people would say it's the account of the birth of the, the church, Although God's, people is, God's people's history goes a long way back before then. It's a continuation of God, the history of God's people, but it's kind of like the birth of this, this new people together, filled, filled by the Spirit. Um, and, and that's what we saw last week, as, as Raj spoke to us from the beginning of Acts chapter 2, that the Spirit has filled these people. They've, they've suddenly encountered God the Holy Spirit in a very personal uh, intimate but powerful way and he filled these people and then um, Peter, one of the, 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 the first apostles, speaks a message to all these people that are watching it um, uh, to, to say no, this, is, this, is, this is what this is, this, is, this is who we are, this is what God's been leading up to in our history um, this is um, God's power at work, come, on, come, and, come and know this Jesus, come and Come and turn and follow this Jesus. That was Peter's message to them. And so after that, uh, this is where we're up to um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So let me read. Let's read that together. Those who accepted his message, that's Peter, those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the things that you can sometimes hear um, as you speak to people um, from them is, is often I w- they would say, I would call myself spiritual. But I'm not into any of that organised stuff. I'm not into talking, uh, meeting with other people who may share that spirituality, but I would call myself spiritual. Or you might hear people say, well, I would call myself a Christian, but I wouldn't have anything to do with a, with a church. Um, I don't want all that organised stuff. It's not necessary. They're not my type of people. It's irrelevant to me. 
in, the, in this nation, that view has become more of a common one than was what was previous. If you're a visitor to this nation, that's probably helpful to know and to realise. It's a reflection of our society, probably. This whole idea of individualism, that it's, it's all about me. I always remember there's a shop, or it used to be a shop, I don't think it's there anymore, in Stockton, called All About Me. And I think, you know, they, they've, they've caught on to uh, what people are thinking in their heads. But, you know, we have, we have this individualistic idea that it's all about me, what I want, what I can get, how you can serve me. Maybe nowadays, you're as more likely to hear people say, well, Christian community is important, but I find it online. You know, I find sermons online. I listen to my sermon online. I find support groups online. I share God with people online. I don't physically need, I don't need to be physically present with people. I can do it in the cloud. Now, Online presence is good. There's, there's nothing wrong with online presence. We put our talks online. Uh, we, we have a website. We, you know, there are ways people can interact online. That's a good thing. And, and maybe for reasons of geography, reasons of accessibility, reasons of mobility, actually having more and more things online is a good thing for people. But surely the whole of Christian life can't be lived out online can it? See, it's those, it's those shifts that I've just mentioned, that, amongst other things, that have affected um, church involvement in this nation. And it's not new. It's not new. Well, except the online stuff. That's new. You have to be super up to date just to keep up with it. You really do just to keep up with what, te- how technology moves on. We were with Jodie's family yesterday and um, we were looking through some photos, some old photos, and one of Jodie's nieces just took out, you know, the negatives that you used to get in the pack, just took them out and she said, Mummy, what are these? <laughs> Holding them up and her, her mum's saying, they're, they're, the, they're the photos. That's, that's the original copy of the photo. She's looking at them going, but they're all dark. I can't see anything. She's thinking, how do I, how do I get these on Instagram? Well, from here, how does it get to my Snapchat? Um, you, you've, got to, you, you've got to have an expert. Even my children are becoming bigger experts than me about how to keep up with technology and what's online. But some of these underlying questions in those statements that I mentioned, have have really been around for decades now, with or without the technology. David Watson, who was a a vicar in York, not far from here, um, a few years ago, uh, he tells a story about when he moved to York in 1965. Um, And he says that he he went to one of the 12 uh, potentially redundant churches in the city, the congregation had been reduced to a very loyal but, but tiny group, a handful of people. The total offering each week was two pounds. And the outlook was pretty bleak. And he says on his, on his first 
official day, he escorted the, the chairman of the redundant churches' uses committee around the building that they were because they were considering what alternative uses they, the Church of England could use for the property when it was finally closed down as a place of worship. And, and David Watson and his team had been given one year's grace to do something before they decided what they were going to do. And the, the chairman of the committee said, took, him to, took David to one side and he said, do you honestly think this church has any future? And David replied to him, and he says it, it seemed a very pious, uh, youthful, enthusiastic comment at the time, but he said, I believe that if anyone really preaches the simple gospel of Christ, trusts in the power of prayer, and opens his life to the renewal of the Spirit, this church will be full in no time. And he says that by the grace of God, and it really was by the grace of God, that did become true. However, the man's comments just made him think and made him realise that people in this nation were asking a more fundamental question. Has the church got any future? Is the church relevant for today? See, where do we look for a picture of what the gathered, God's gathered people are meant to be? Do we look to our culture with, that says it's all about the individual, it's all about what you can do for me? It's all about what needs are most important to me? Do we look to our culture? Do we look to the mixed state of the church in this nation? What, was, what once was important to life, well, perhaps isn't now. No, we go back to God's plan. What's God's plan for his people gathered? And that's part of the reason why we're looking through Acts. Oh, you'll be pleased. A clock's appeared at the back again now. That means that I'll know what time it is and know when to stop. Fantastic. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, whoever did that. So Luke is, is really setting out here in Acts, in this passage we've just read, that there was this new community being formed from these people who decided to follow Jesus. Chapter 2, we said... These, these followers are filled with the Spirit. And it says that 3,000 of them came to Jesus, decided to follow Jesus, and were baptised. And it's likely that Luke is referring to that 3,000 here when he's talking about the they that starts in verse 42. Luke wants us to know that life in the Spirit looks like something day in, day out. We see this community. This community here that's forming is an act of the Holy Spirit. You know, we often look, and I know I do as well, we look in Acts and we say, what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's doing miraculous things. He's healing people. Oh, he's uh, doing a, a miraculous provision here. Oh, there's an amazing prophecy. They're, they're the acts of the Holy Spirit. This passage here is as much an act of the Holy Spirit, a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit as all those things that I've just mentioned, as amazing as they are. But the Spirit, he brings a unity to people that we see here. Right, so let's look at this new community. So what, is a, a spiritual, what is a, a Spirit-filled community look like? What's it centred around? Is it like some of those things that I said? Miraculous gifts, prophecy, prophetic words, evangelism... It says here, we see that 
a spirit-filled community is built and centered around Jesus. His message, his work of salvation, his presence with us by the Holy Spirit. And we can see that in some of the things that they are devoted to. So let's have a look at some of the things that they are devoted to. So they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know what, more about what it meant to follow Jesus. And who better than the very people that had been around Jesus? These apostles. They knew his parables. They knew his teaching. They knew the things he'd done. And now that they could share it with these 3,000. But it was even more than that. Because you may may be um, aware of that account of Jesus meeting some of, his, some of his disciples on a road after he'd been raised from the dead and they're talking and they're a bit despondent because they're thinking, well, we just thought that this Jesus was the one who was going to be the Messiah and save us and it turns out not to have done. And so they're walking and Jesus comes and walks along with them and uh, they get into a conversation and it, and it says that Jesus does something. He says that beginning from Moses and all the prophets, that means all the Old Testament books in the Bible, their scriptures, Jesus explained to them what was said in all those scriptures concerning himself. He was saying, you know, all your Old Testament scriptures, all, all that you know that God has revealed to you in your scriptures, they're about me. They're leading to me. They're talking about me, Jesus says. So he'd be saying, I imagine he would be saying things like, let's see how Moses rescued the people out of Egypt and out of slavery, I've come to rescue you out of spiritual slavery. See how David was a king, but he was a, 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 a you know, he, he was a, a faulted king in many ways. Do you know what? I'm the perfect king who will reign forever. Hey, let's, let's as a church be devoted to God's word. Not, not to make us clever, not to make us feel intellectual or puffed up, like, I know more than you, but because, like Raj said this morning as we started the meeting, we encounter Jesus. Because as we read, we can have daily readings, wonderful. We can listen to sermons online, wonderful. But they're so that we encounter this risen Lord Jesus. Amazing. And that's, that's my prayer for us this morning, that more and more in our worship, in our times where we open up the Bible, we're encountering Jesus. Because that's what we were made for. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. That sounds a little bit like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? They were devoted to the fellowship. It's not really a word we use often. The, The Greek word has this sense of togetherness, of intimacy. That's what they were devoted to. Um, Not just, hey, here's one Sunday. See you next Sunday. Don't get too close to me. Don't talk to me this week. Leave me alone. We'll come back to this a little bit later on. They were devoted, it says, to the breaking of bread. And this is almost certainly a reference to um, the eating of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he died. He took bread and wine and he says, this this is all about the sacrifice I'm going to make and give my life on the cross. And he called his followers to do it in remembrance and to remember that. But it's more than just a remembering thing. 
there's a sense that as we do it, as we remember what Jesus did with his disciples before he died, it's more than just remembering that he gave his life on the cross. There's a sense that he is present with us as we do it. He's amongst us. Now, the bread will stay bread and the, 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 the juice will stay juice. It's not like it transforms literally into Jesus' body and blood. But even more amazingly, he's with us as we do it together by his Spirit. And we get to, we get to feast on his goodness. We get to do it. It's almost like an act. You know, we sing, you are good. We were singing that, weren't we? And you're never going to let me down and you are good. It's almost this act is declaring that as we do it together. And we get to feast on his goodness and delight in him. And we're going to be doing that this morning. It it was kind of like something that would keep their community centred on Jesus. Keep them centred around who he is and his amazing victory on the cross. It says they were devoted to prayer. Prayer keeps us reliant on God. Perhaps you have heard the story of the great Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon um, when some uh, college students decided to go and visit his church in London. It's a massive church, thousands of people um, in the 1800s sometime. And these college students decided, we're going to go and visit Charles Spurgeon's church. So they turn up and they're waiting in a queue outside for the service to start. And they're approached by someone who says, would you like to come and see the heating plant of this church? And they think, it's the middle of July. Not really. But politely, they say, oh yes, that'd be lovely. So this gentleman takes them down some stairs in the building, into a room, opens the door, and there are hundreds of people passionately praying. Praying for the service that is about to start and for the people who are going to come and listen. And apparently, and so he says to them, you know, this is, this is, the, this is, this is the heating room of this church. Prayer. And apparently it was Charles Spurgeon. It was the, the guy they, they didn't recognise. It was him that had taken them down to that room. And let's not think that we can do the Christian life in our own strength without God's voice, without encountering him. Let's not think that we can live out our calling as a church in our own strength. Prayer keeps us focused on Jesus. He will build, he is building his church. Someone said that already this morning, I can't remember, it came through. He's building his church. And so we look to him for his strength and for his leading and his power. There is no other heating plant in this church. And whether you can come along to our prayer meeting uh, a week Tuesday or not, know that we're called to pray. Gather some friends together. Let's just pray for this situation. Gather in your community groups. We just want to pray. Gather in groups that you serve in. We need to pray. And come along to our prayer meeting a week Tuesday too, so we can pray. Okay, so they were centred on Jesus. This spirit-filled community was centred on Jesus. And secondly, it was motivated by love. But let me just take a a quick detour before we start this point. Perhaps for whatever reason you have felt let down 
by church. Disappointed that a church that you had been part of didn't reflect the, this kind of Acts 2 thing. If you take the whole of the New Testament writings into context and see the big picture, we see that there are churches at this time, like the one in Corinth, that sometimes have divisions and sometimes don't reflect perfectly equality between rich and poor. You sometimes see in the New Testament there are leaders like Peter who got it wrong and he didn't lead like he should have in uh, opposing people who were kind of adding law to grace. You sometimes see churches like this one in Acts that have people like a couple called Ananias and Sapphira who we meet in chapter 5 who not only lie to other church members but they deceive God. And I'm not saying all these things are okay. Far from it. The Bible doesn't say they're okay. But the church will be imperfect until Jesus returns. When he returns, we'll be a pure, spotless bride. But up to then, it will be imperfect. And it will disappoint us. Why am I saying all this now, in this point? Well, there's something that protects us from cynicism and protects us from some of that disappointment. It's love. It's love. These believers had received Jesus. They'd been filled with the Spirit. They loved Jesus and they loved his body, the church. They'd encountered love. They'd realised that God loved them so much that he'd given himself on the cross for them. And Jesus said to his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. We so often get it wrong. We, we kind of think Jesus probably said, love each other, then I will love you. Be devoted in life, then I will be devoted to you. That's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, because I have loved you, because I love you, because I'm so for you, because you're accepted in me, now love one another. Now love those around you. It's totally transforming, totally different. If we're not careful, that attitude affects how we live out the Christian life. We say, well, what do I do to earn the acceptance of God, the love of God? How do I behave with my money and my possessions to be worthy of that acceptance and love? What do the rules say I have to do? What, what is the information that I need to know how to give? To, to how to, what to do with my money and my possessions. Jesus' approach is totally different. He says, I want to shape your desires and your loves by my faithful, everlasting love. These disciples had been transformed and their love had been shaped by his love. So much so that it affected their property and their stuff. How can I, so they're kind of thinking, well, how can I love Christ? Because he's loved me so much. Because he loves me so much. How can I love Christ more and his people more? I can help those in need. There doesn't seem to be anything that they're compelled to do. 
not out of duty or out of rule. I'm, I'm, I'm so British that I don't like talking about money and possessions. I really don't. But the Bible doesn't have the same hang-ups as me, fortunately. And it may not have the same hang-ups as you either, if you're like me. It says, love for Jesus will affect, love for Jesus and for his people will affect your wallet and your stuff. It will. It'll affect your bank account and your things. It should come with a warning. Warning, love for Jesus will do this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's kind of like saying, look, what you do with your money and possessions will say a lot about your love. See, when you get into loving community with other people who are loving Jesus, that'll happen. And you won't have to look far for opportunities. I suspect this, these 3,000 didn't have to look far either. Ah, oh, they have a need. Ah, oh, that person, that person that I, I met in my small group or at the prayer meeting, oh, they have a need. Who can meet that? I could meet that. Oh, that person that I was talking to, do you know their, their washing machine is broken and they've got to wash all those clothes for the kids and keep up to, on top of things. God, how's that going to work? Who's going to meet that need? I could. I could do that. Love, see, love springs up in us. It becomes not about, oh, I've got to do it. Oh, I've got to do it because the Bible tells me to do it. Like they did it in Acts. No, no, love springs up in us. I could do that. Our love becomes practical, not just some kind of gushy emotions thing, but it serves those around us. Okay, thirdly, they were united in purpose. This new community, united in purpose. I like what the, how the new American Standard Version puts verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Day by day, continuing with one mind. It could be one accord or with one passion. A few months ago, this lot were not very united. In fact, they were disunited or ununited or whatever the opposite is. There were arguments, they were positioning for who was the best. And now they're totally different. The Holy Spirit has come to them. They've been baptised, filled, empowered. Think of it like this. Think of it like an orchestra. You have different instruments in an orchestra, don't you? You have different sounds and different styles. There's variety. But you know, when they're brought together by a conductor, they, they harmonise so beautifully. And that's what's happening here in this community as the Holy Spirit brings together the lives of these Christians and blends them so joyfully and so beautifully together in one purpose. If an orchestra doesn't do it for you, think of a football team. You get a bunch of people with different skills different stages, different styles, different attitudes sometimes, Rob. Different fitness. But when a coach brings them all together and fits them all together, 
there's not only there's, there's a beauty to that, but there's a purpose. They're united together to achieve something. And that's how the church is empowered and led and arranged by the Holy Spirit. See, you can, you can read this chapter and just think, well, it's all about method, right? I'll do the things that Acts 2 said a church should do. We just have to do those things. And you can miss the secret ingredient, which is the Spirit of God working amongst this community. That's why we see what we see. It's God the Holy Spirit at work. Jubilee, we have a purpose. We're called to be of one passion. Not exactly the same. We are, if you take a look around, wonderfully diverse. But we're called with one purpose. To bring the love of God to Teesside. As are other churches who love Jesus in Teesside. We're called to help people find Jesus and follow him. Find loving community. We're called to affect this nation. And we're called to affect other nations. Just praying with a group before we were uh, this morning, being reminded of the fact that God has called us to affect and be generous in spirit to others around us, to this nation and to the nations. And we, we mustn't forget to do that. Keep doing it. Keep being that generous people because of the spirit. Jesus calls us to have a united passion. Yes, he will give us specific callings, specific giftings, but he calls us and he unites us in it all. We get to do it together. I want to just finish with a personal story and then we're going to break bread together. I grew up in a, in a church. My mum and dad kind of brought me into a church community and I'm sure I would have been taught this passage that we've read this morning countless times. And I went to a, a lively, charismatic church as a student. And I was in a church for four years as a student. And I know I would have heard this passage taught. But then when I, when I joined a church at the end of my studies, and I, I met a new friend called Simon. He was called Simon as well, Simon Finch. Some of you might know him. And he taught on this passage that we've been looking at this morning. And suddenly, I heard it. I heard it. Do you, know, do you know when you just hear something? I'd heard it before. I'm sure I'll have heard it before in church life. I'm sure people have taught it. And it probably tells more about me than the people teaching it. But suddenly I heard it. And God pressed upon my heart. This is what spirit-filled community looks like. I heard it. God did something in me that day. He changed my whole attitude to his church, to his people. I, re I realized why they were devoted to one another. Listen, this morning, do you hear God's voice in this passage? Do you hear him? Do you hear that he wants a community centered around his son do you hear that he wants a community motivated by his love do you hear that he, 
he calls us to be a community filled with the Spirit and united in purpose together. Listen, we're going to break bread. We're going to celebrate those things. We're going to remember Jesus. We're going to enjoy his presence amongst us. We're going to feast on his goodness together as we break bread. And let me just say as well, look, if you're not a Christian here this morning, there's, don't, don't worry about joining a group and just praying as we break bread together, or just praying with someone. Don't, don't feel like, oh, because, I, can't, because, I, because I, I feel like I can't take the bread and the wine, that you can't join in with this. We want you to be joined in with this because, um, because you're here and God loves you. So, so, but if you do know that you have decided to follow Jesus, make a decision, then regardless of whether you've been a member here for however long, we would love you to take the bread and the juice with us as we remember it. But don't, don't make it a, a kind of, oh, I have to sit back and I'm not involved in this bit. No, no, we'd love you to be involved in praying. And if you feel like, do you know, today, today, do you know, I want to choose this Jesus. I feel I haven't been following him in my life, but today I want to make a decision to accept this Jesus in my life, accept that his death on the cross was for me. Hey, taking the bread and the wine is a wonderful way to do that. And you can do that together as we do that in community together. So can we do that? Can I pray for us? And then let's, let's start to move. Let's start to be very aware of who's around us. We can invite them in and say, look, come on, why don't you pray with us? Why don't we break bread together? Let's pray. Father God, we, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that 2,000 years ago, you were transforming lives, making a community, knitting lives together, forming one new man in Christ, bringing unity and purpose to a people. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you that, thank you that you are still doing that today, thousands of years later. And we thank you for your work by the Spirit amongst us and in us. And we want to ask, as we take this bread and this wine, we want to remember you amongst us. We want to encounter you afresh amongst us. We want to delight in your goodness, your sacrifice at the cross. We just take a moment to remember that, to thank you. You didn't hold back you gave yourself at the cross for us so that all our sin, all our um, disobedience to you would be dealt with once and for all so that we could come before our God knowing we're clean, accepted, loved, cherished. And so as we do that, we remember it and we delight in your presence amongst us. Amen.